Welcome to the Gene Oliver Podcast, where we talk all things business, art, and lifestyle. This is your podcast for building a more creative life. Creativity is calling. Become the artist you have dreamed to be. After the podcast, meet me over at geneoliver.com, where you will find art, business, and lifestyle online courses. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jean Oliver, and today I'm talking with author, speaker, founder of the popular lifestyle blog, La La Lovely, and podcaster, Trina McNeely. Trina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jean. I'm excited to talk. I... um I was able to read your book, Unclutter Your Soul, before this episode. So, um, and this is the kind of book, you guys, that you're going to want to read, underline, and buy for others you love. And I'm also a huge fan of your first book, La La Lovely. So, and before we dive into the book, would you just talk a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Well, firstly, I'm a mom, um, four kids, kind of all in that like, preteen, teen, and college zone. So life feels a little crazy in different ways than it did with little kids. Um, and then, yes, I am an author. I really like to call myself a writer because even if I never had a published book, I would write. Mm-hmm. So I love to write. Um, I do have the two books that you mentioned, just started writing on Substack, blogged this like started 15 years ago. So I love, um, inspiring people and sharing beautiful things, um, podcasting, which I'm on a little reprieve from, and I just love creative things and to share beauty in general. I love beauty. Well, your book on clutter, your soul is broken into three parts, observe, Mm -hmm. own, and overcome. So I just wanted to uh, point that out before we start talking just so Mm -hmm. people can keep that in mind. Your book begins talking about the heaviness of just life that everybody has, right? And and also the divorce of your parents. Mm -hmm. My parents also divorced after 42 years of marriage. And so there's so much written and talked about when parents divorce while their children are young. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of silence, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your side of this because when you're you're an adult and your parents divorce. Mm -hmm. So what did you find to be true for you going through the divorce of your parents as an Mm -hmm. adult? Yeah. Well, I was really caught off guard. Um, Actually, my parents had separated when I was little. And at that point, I thought they were going to get a divorce and seemed more prepared for that then. I mean, as prepared as a kid can be. Um, But things didn't go that way. They got back together. Um, Things really seemed to have turned around. So that was just kind of like out of my mind altogether. Mm -hmm. And um, then it it happened. And, um, because I am a reader and I love books, I went scouring, like, what do I do? I didn't have a lot of friends Mm -hmm. going through that at that stage of life. And I felt really lost and alone. And ironically enough, um, was living in my childhood home. My husband and I had bought, um, my childhood home and we're now raising our young children in that house. So when that happened, um, you know, it was, it was just really like uh, stark to be there and kind of have the surroundings um, of the home that I grew up in, kind of call mm-hmm. it like a museum of memories. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was a huge loss of identity and it took a little, you know, it was just layers and layers of peeling back um, the onion, but really at the bottom of that, it was a lot of loss of identity and just a security. Like, you know, there's 
things in your life that you kind of make these silent agreements with that, you know, this will never change or this is a constant in my life. And of course, as we get older, a lot of those, um, you know, the, the hope that we have in that, or however we idealize things, you know, that changes because life happens and, um, and people are people, but that was one for me. That was a real security was my family and my parents being together. So I just, I lost a lot of, um, identity. I kind of didn't know two of my kids knew their grandparents together, um, two didn't. And, um, also, you know, as an adult, it's not like, you know, I think parents want to drag you into things, but it just happens more because you're just privy to more conversations and mm-hmm. even some legalities and things that are happening. And, um, it's really hard to navigate. And then you're in some ways, I don't want to say like, trying to counsel your parents, but trying to be a support to, or a listening ear while you're trying to figure it out and navigate yourself. So I don't know if you resonate with any of that, but that was my experience. And then I just wanted to hide. I lived in kind of a, you know, smaller town Mm -hmm. community where everybody knew my family and parents together. And I just couldn't even like acknowledge it or accept it for a long time. Mm What did you need, but not know how or what to ask for in that time? Boy, that is a tricky one. Um, It's so weird because it's like, I, I wanted to talk, like I was just Mm -hmm. saying, I wanted to kind of like um, hide and I couldn't accept it. So I wanted to talk, but I didn't. So I think I just needed, um, I needed the courage to be able to talk to the like right friends or the right mm-hmm. people. And I, I didn't have that. I didn't know how to ask for that. And I just thought it was just, you know, too much for other people to process with me. Cause it was so layered. Mm-hmm. So I kind of went inward a lot in the beginning. Yeah. I'm going to read on uh, page 18, you write death, addiction, loss, abandonment, illness, financial loss, failure, depression, divorce, anxiety. Your version may materialize differently, but this we share. And then also you write hope, light, salvation, healing, freedom. Your path may differ, but this we share. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to share one, isn't it? And it's harder Mm -hmm. to share the other, even though we all have these common threads throughout our lives. How are you about sharing the highs and lows? Mm -hmm. Um, Boy, that's interesting because of the world we live in nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are constantly kind of sharing online and it can be kind of curated and, um, you know, I'm okay with sharing lows. I can tend to kind of sometimes isolate when things get really low, um, but also I don't want to be like a, a Debbie Downer or or share the low too much, but I think it's important that we show and share to an extent in the right way. And with the right people, uh, all sides, because what we're seeing on our screens every day is mostly the highs and, and curated things. And I get Mm -hmm. it. We don't want to just, you know, um, put all of the heart out there, but then even unintentionally, we're kind of beginning to think, you know, your brain kind of gets programmed and seeing just all of the, the good and the highs and thinking this is how it should be every day, but that's just not real life. Right. 
You write that worrying requires extensive energy and does not yield results. And I'll also read another segment. Um, anxiety is such a buzzword and can be defined a number of ways. In general, anxiety is the body's natural response to stress. It's a feeling of fear or apprehension about what's to come. I once heard a doctor explain that anxiety comes from the thinking part of the brain, which surprised me. He explained farther that our brain tries to predict what is going to happen in the future based on past experiences. And when it can't predict, that's when anxiety sets in. Isn't that so helpful to know that? Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting and it completely makes sense. So now put the whole world into the pandemic with no mm -hmm. past reference. Mm -hmm. That is a world heavy with worry and anxious thoughts. Mm -hmm. So how did you start to step out in, in the book? You talk about a lot of things, but just in general, how did you start to step out of the anxious thoughts? And I think first and foremost, it's probably just helpful to just remember those last sentences. Mm -hmm. And if you know that part of what I'm feeling is because I don't have a reference point right now. And I, mm -hmm. and isn't that like, if you can name that and be mm -hmm. aware of that, but I'm just interested, how did you start to step out of the anxious thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I, that was so enlightening to me. And that doctor, I think his name's Dr. Um, Chatterjee. He's got an awesome podcast. Uh, but he shared that during the pandemic and why mm -hmm. our bodies were responding in such anxiety. So it was so helpful to know that. Um, so I still struggle with anxious thoughts. Um, you know, I think if you're human and you're living in the years, mm -hmm. 2023, you probably do to some extent, but for me, it really came by beginning to observe, which you had mentioned as a first section of the book, but just observing and being able to process them so many, um, so often I would say we're just kind of like going through life on autopilot and anxiety can be like that too. And it just becomes familiar, like maybe even the way your body responds to it. Mm -hmm. But when you can begin to observe what's happening, maybe some patterns, um, and that's kind of what began to happen for me, my body started freaking out and I started observing, okay, when this happens, my body responds in this way and my body made me pay attention. So then I started to pay attention to the thoughts that were causing the anxiety. So I looked for patterns and, um, began to notice different cycles of anxiety. And that was a game changer for me. No, thanks. Um, you write that loss, letting go and grief are inescapable. And when we think of grief, we naturally think of physical death. However, grief can also be ambiguous. Consider yeah. when there is a loss of something otherly, a relationship, a home, a season, a way of life. In these cases, you might not even recognize that you are experiencing grief. And you talk about um, just the five stages of grief, denial, anger, uh, bargaining, depression mm -hmm. and acceptance mm -hmm. and 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 then you have a few questions that you that you ask in the next couple pages and I'm going to read both of those are you experiencing loss could you be grieving are you struggling to let go of someone or something and I'm going to put mm -hmm. trauma in with this also because then you added something about trauma because I I love that you talk about this because so often we can downplay things and not even realize that we're in a grieving process. Mm 
right. um, for something. And then the trauma aspect, you wrote, have you experienced something in your life that you can't seem to get over? Does your body react to certain memories or certain experiences that trigger thoughts or images of a past experience? Do you have a hyperactive nervous system always on guard and assessing potential danger? Mm-hmm. So it is hard in the midst of true worry, anxiety, grief, and trauma to remember steps or truth. Did you have a way to write these things down to remember? Like, um, how did you speak truth and life over yourself during this time? Mm-hmm. Well, really, probably other people coming alongside of me. And, you know, speaking of, of Greece and ambiguous loss <clears throat> and being able to name those things, mm-hmm. I, I really couldn't. So mm-hmm. when my parents divorced, I really could not name that it was grief, which seems crazy looking back at it now, mm-hmm. but it took someone, um, saying to me, you know, <clears throat> you're gr- this is a death and you're grieving. And then, you know, learning those stages of grief and then realizing, okay, yeah, I am having a hard time even accepting this or, I am angry. Definitely. You know, I'm dealing with depression. Um, so just being able to see that and then even, you know, knowing those things and sometimes people having to speak them in your life and writing down what those people tell you and being able to look that over and, and process it. It's such a process though, you know, um, being able to look at your own feelings, your own losses, and what might be happening on the inside of you. It, it takes time, you know, it's not a something you sit down and do and at one time, and then, you know, you're done with it. It really takes time to process through. Um, and sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you know, you brought up trauma, everyone's learning so much more about that nowadays, but I talk about in the book, um, small T trauma and big T trauma. And we often just think, you know, we trauma is, you know, a a car accident or a death or a severe type of abuse. Um, but most of us have experienced some form of trauma, a smaller T trauma, um, which, you know, I kind of had to unpack, okay, I had experienced some traumas. And again, I didn't really know that till my body Mm -hmm. (laughs) started telling me things as well. Kind of what you, um, read, I went to a counseling appointment, um, was talking about a situation I'd been in, um, when a loved one was in a hospital, it was for two weeks and it was extremely stressful on many levels. And, um, I knew that that was, it was probably one of the hardest things I'd ever been through, but I didn't understand the extent that it had taken on my body, my soul until I couldn't even barely get the words out and my body was kind of shaking and responding in a certain way. And a counselor had to point that out. So sometimes it's just really a process where, you know, we begin to recognize things. Um, you might read about it or people point it out. And hopefully, you know, if you are going through extreme anxiety or grief or loss, um, I encourage everyone, um, if you're able to, to talk with a counselor or a trusted friend or a pastor, a therapist, someone that can help you work through those things. Cause they're going to help you to see things that you just might not be able to, because you're so in the thick of it. I think it's interesting too, that how often do we not realize something is whether it's a big trauma or a small trauma based upon people's reactions around us. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and then maybe that we correlate it with being 
something or nothing based upon the feedback we can get. And, um, and just yeah. because something happens a lot actually doesn't mean it's not trauma. So yeah. if you even think of it that way, even young children, if, if the divorce mm-hmm. rates 50%, that's mm-hmm. actually, that's a big trauma. That's not yeah. just a, like, and, but if, but I, you mentioned that someone said that one of your friends said that the divorce was a death. And I, a friend of mine had said to me, divorce is a death without a funeral. Yes. And that was so helpful because if my dad, my parents' divorce was because of an affair, but if my, if my dad would have truly passed away, people would have helped my mom. They would have come out to the farm. They would have brought food. There would, there was, there would have been other things, but because it was a divorce, especially a divorce with an affair, there's silence. And Mm -hmm. so it really can skew the, like what you're even going through. Um, Mm -hmm. because like you said, nobody has somebody actually die and they ignore them. Um, but, um, I just, I, I've always held on to that to be so more thoughtful of other people going Mm -hmm. through divorces personally, you know, if there's somebody I know going through a divorce, but also of children of divorce also. And so, well, there's no person alive that hasn't walked through the holy work. And I love that you said this of forgiving or being forgiven. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read a few of your questions because I just think your questions are really beautiful and thoughtful. The first one is, do you recognize, um, oh, sorry, here, wrong one. Who has wounded you so deeply that not a day goes by that the person Mm -hmm. is not in your thoughts? And the next question um, regarding forgiveness, what has been done to you that has hurt you so badly that you believed you might not recover? So mm-hmm. what are some misconceptions about forgiveness? That's where I'd like to start um, mm-hmm. with forgiveness. Yeah, I think for me, one of the biggest misconceptions that I've had and, you know, growing up as a Christian and in the church and, you know, just forgiveness kind of being a part of, of daily life in a way, um, part of my identity. I just really don't think that I understood that it's when it comes to these, you know, bigger things in life that you have to forgive that it's, um, it's not like a one and done process. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not saying my prayers at night and Lord help me to, you know, forgive so-and-so for this or that. And then you wake up and you wake up, you know, like, (laughs) like when you're a kid, wouldn't that be nice? Um, but that it's not that for me. Um, and with some of these heavier things, um, related to losses or things that have happened that I've had no control over. Um, it's been a process and a con- almost like a surrender mm-hmm. and a practice where I find myself, okay, I have picked this back up again, or I am carrying this person like on my back in a sense, and it's heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to lay this down again and I need to surrender and yield and to forgive and to let go. And if I notice I've picked it back up again, if the Holy spirit brings that to my mind, or if I just feel the heaviness of it, um, then I've, I've got to do that again. So for me, that was a big, um, misconceptions, a misconception. And, you know, sometimes too, um, you know, when we go through these hard things, we can carry a little bit of anger or resentment towards God. And I think sometimes it can be kind of veiled, um, 
if it's not coming out as, you know, how could you let this happen to me? Or, you know, I thought you were a good God or, um, this isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, for me, it wasn't a blatant thing like that, but after, you know, unpacking and looking further deep down, um, there are things that you have to deal with that, Mm -hmm. that you may be, you know, placing on the Lord and, and feeling anger for. So sometimes, you know, we may have to, um, have forgiveness there, you know, God, will you forgive me? I, I need, I need to forgive you. <laughs> you forgive me for holding this against you. Or actually, um, it's really kind of believing that you're somebody that you're not, cause that's, mm-hmm. you know, not God's character. Mm-hmm. How are you different because you've forgiven and you have been forgiven? Hmm. So, um, I think that, it's just, again, that process, it's the, that process that changes you. Um, certainly you feel a little lighter and freer. Um, and not so bound, you know, Mm -hmm. to other people that have hurt you. So, um, I think, I think I'm just really different because I understand it's a process. So also I've, let go of guilt and shame that maybe I carried around because I'm not doing it right. Or I don't necessarily feel like I think I should after I've forgiven. So just knowing that process and that I can always return to that has really been a game changer for me. For restless minds, there are often the what ifs that run day and night. You talk about turning that and the what ifs, like what if they could be those, what ifs can be positive. So I want to read because so often you're like, you can think, oh, but what if this happens or this happens? And so I want to read yeah. from page 58. What if when you leave, you find freedom? Mm-hmm. What if your children are just fine? In fact, what if they learn adaptability that will serve them later in life? What if they find freedom? What if they learn to not fear? What if I'm building a home for you that moths cannot destroy and time cannot take from you? What if you truly make your home in me? Trina, what if I'm doing a new thing? What if I have something better for you? What would your one day, someday house look like? Mm -hmm. Our words are powerful over us Mm -hmm. and others. Yeah. And, you know, what are the narratives that we're listening to all day? Will you talk about this in your own journey? Mm -hmm. And I especially love when you write, when you hear the Lord, when you write about it becomes, it's so tender. It's always so tender throughout the Mm -hmm. whole book um, of when you share what the Lord's sharing with you about hope and expectation and what he has for you. Thank you. Yeah. That, that particular passage and probably the ones that you're talking about, a lot of them are italicized in the book. Mm -hmm. Those are, are my journal entries really I mean, a lot of my books mostly are cleaned mm-hmm. up and expounded on, but those, those ones are pretty much straight up, um, raw moments, mm-hmm. um, in my journal. And that's what they feel like. Yeah. Thank you. I'm glad that resonates. Um, yeah. So the narratives you're asking about my <laughs> experience with the narratives and what we're listening to on the inside of our minds. Well, and even uh, at the time of the book, a lot has changed yeah. since you wrote the book. Mm-hmm. It has. Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of the things that you were going through and uh, mm-hmm. moving away from your childhood home yeah. um, and letting go of a home in general, not mm-hmm. knowing. I think it's very interesting when you don't, when you give something up and there's not something instantly to replace it and you kind of hold your hands yeah. open wondering what is going to be next and that transition, mm-hmm. especially when um, your blog was a lifestyle blog and your first book was all about mm-hmm. finding the beauty, right? In the yeah. day-to-day and yeah. and you're so used to making home to mm-hmm. give up your home with not knowing what's going to be next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now you're living not mm-hmm. in Illinois, you're living <laughs> yeah. in like Tennessee yeah. and actually living where you believed someday you were going to be, mm-hmm. but you yeah. didn't have a path to it. No, you didn't have a clear idea of what, um, and so how did changing your narrative in the midst of hardship actually get you ready for where the Lord was taking you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really, again, I don't want to keep like harping on the observe and the own, but that really was Mm -hmm. my process. You know, you kind of explained the process a little bit of where I was, um, observing. So, you know, both books, I write about home because home is kind of my favorite. And, um, when I wrote unclutter your soul, I was kind of in between homes. Um, I had left that beloved childhood home, which was a a great loss for me. I described that house like a, like a grandpa in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at the end of my first book, I was kind of leaving there, but I write and share photos of that home. And, um, we did, as we were leaving, we kind of really didn't know where we were going and it was really scary. And there was a lot of what ifs in my head. And a lot of them were, you know, in the voice of other people telling me this could happen or that, or you don't, you know, whatever. Um, and I really had to go back to God's word and his promises that, you know, he is a provider and that he, um, cares about the things that we care about and so forth. So then, you know, we spent a couple of years, three years in a rental home, which was really different because we knew it, you know, a bigger change was going to come maybe a a move out of state and we didn't know when, Mm -hmm. um, And so that was really hard because as you said, I was a lifestyle blogger. A lot of what I did was share my home. I didn't know what was next. Um, And it was this big change in the same town, like a big change with not a lot changing, but everything changing too. So it was a lot to work through those narratives and not know what came next. And that's where I started writing this book and kind of was the process of working through um, all of those narratives um, in my mind. So really it was observing them, but then beginning to take ownership of them to go back to what the truth is of God's word. Did, did those narratives and all those what ifs in my mind, um, were they any kind of, you know, false belief that I had attached to, mm-hmm. um, or made my own. And so it was just a real kind of nitty gritty process of like big picture observing, owning and overcoming, but like on the daily owning those thoughts that kept popping in or the narratives, um, that would play over and over and changing those and beginning to, you know, to trust God, to hope and to have expectation. You wrote, has what oppressed you become part of your identity? Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, that alone, um, 
to to stop and and think about that, which really goes right into talking about strongholds. So I want to, and even a lot, what you just said kind of leads right into this. So you are writing on, um, in the observes section of the book, Mm -hmm. what is a stronghold? And it's, and you write, I wonder what is packed deep in the basement of your soul, the boxes at the very bottom, inherited mental clutter, maybe. Well, my grandma was a warrior. My mom is a warrior. And it seems I am too. Perhaps hurtful memories stuffed away in a safe place. This kind of clutter is nothing short of a stronghold and those cannot be tucked away. They must be acknowledged, named, owned, and torn down. And you go on to say in the Cambridge Dictionary, a stronghold is a building or position that is strongly defended, but it also means a place or area where a particular belief or activity is common. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain belief or activity in your life that is common? Perhaps one that was or is common to your grandparents or parents, um, to the generations. I've had to conclude that there is a false responsibility attached to worry. Um, that's down a little bit longer. And then I'm going to end with um, another sentence down farther. As long as we believe the lies, we will stay imprisoned by those strongholds. Mm-hmm. What are some ways we can all be aware of strongholds in our life so we can acknowledge, name, own, and tear them down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even if you just think about the word, I mean, I am a word girl, so mm-hmm. I love <laughs> including definitions because they just expound. But even if you just look at the word strong hold, mm-hmm. like what has a strong hold on you? And sometimes when we can't see it for ourselves, you know, and as you begin to observe in your life, I love analogies of homes because I love homes, but it's like, you can see all your junk that's, you know, out and about your clutter on a desk or a dresser or, um, on the kitchen counter, but that's easy to name and to see, but like, what's kind of packed in the basement, right? Mm -hmm. It's like stuff. I don't have a basement anymore, which I hate. I love basements. Um, and I love to sometimes go through storage rooms in the basement because it's like, oh, what what have I held on to all these years? Mm-hmm. What's packed in here? A lot of times it's familiar things that we we don't want to let go of, that we really don't have need for anymore, but we just don't want to let go of it. So when we start kind of unpacking on those deeper levels, which may mean, um, okay, you know, that example, you know, I worry a lot. Okay where, where is this coming from? You know, is it something I maybe picked up in childhood or was it a coping mechanism? Um, and you kind of start to play detective a little bit in your life and begin to look when we're talking about stronghold, definitely look at your parents and your grandparents and what may be there generationally and observe what some of those patterns may be, because, um, that will tell you a lot and you'll know real quickly if it's a stronghold or not. So mm-hmm. for me, worry, which also is, you know, really attached to fear, which also, you know, um, is attached to anxiety. So maybe look and see what in your own life, um, has been with you for a while, what you have packed away and what maybe parents or grandparents where there's some similarities there. Um, and I'm going to share just so people can get a visual of kind of what we're talking about is that this was many years ago. Uh, Kelly has, he has 
in the beginning did not work at home. And then um, he would sometimes work from home. And in the way before, maybe even when our business was just starting, if he would come home or come upstairs or, um, you know, open the front door. And if I were doing something like if I was at the computer or if I was reading a magazine or a book, or I was doing something, I would kind Mm -hmm. of really quickly jump up. Mm-hmm. So, um, I didn't appear that I wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. And what's so funny about it is that's not how Kelly is about me, you know, mm-hmm. like, Hey, what have you been doing woman all day while I've been, right. you know, working. Yeah. And I started noticing, so it goes back to the observing, right? Like um, I'm noticing that I'm jumping up and I don't want to be caught resting. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I started to really just even ask, Lord, where's that even come from? Why would Mm -hmm. I feel like I can't rest or I have to always show that I'm doing work. And then I, the Lord showed me that growing up my, on Saturdays, we would, watch old movies with my mom, like old black and white movies. And she would also Mm -hmm. iron while she was watching the movie. So that was, first of all, like Mm -hmm. you to do something you really want to do, but she's also going to iron at the same time. But sometimes we'd all just be sitting and watching the movie. And then my dad was a realtor. And if you saw his car start to drive in front of our house, Mm -hmm. um, like we had to get out of his chair. We like, there was this jump Mm -hmm. up. We got mm-hmm. out of his chair. We, my mom would go back to ironing, like that we didn't want to mm-hmm. be caught like yeah. in his space or resting. I think it's really interesting how many things mm-hmm. and then, and then to realize like, oh, I'm worthy of rest. Just like my mom was right. Mm-hmm. My mom was worthy yeah. of rest. I'm worthy of rest. And so I just think that's such a huge, like everything about these strongholds are mm-hmm. lies that we believe and we don't mm-hmm. even realize that we're walking them out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you write that avoidance and procrastination are not self-protection or preservation. They're self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. And then you ask, do I withdraw from my life or do I live it? And mm-hmm. I'm going to read uh, John O'Donohue, uh, quote, the self does not awaken to find its purpose trapped in an isolated subjectivity. Rather, it awakens to ultimate participation. Mm-hmm. Coming alive is a participation. And then you you then share how to make a participation list, which I love because I love words and I love mm-hmm. things in front of me to remind myself, you know, do my actions line up with what I say? If I say right. I want this kind of life, yeah. I need those words in front of me so I can, I can check myself. Yeah, um, I say this, yourself. but my actions say something different. So mm-hmm. will you share this idea and how it has helped you to clearly see how you want your actions to align with your words? Yeah. So I, this again was like a journalist and then it might, might've progressed into a blog post and then into the book. But I think for me, it's, that is a really unhealthy coping, coping mechanism. And it was one that, you know, the Holy spirit had to reveal to me. I loved, um, when we were just talking about strongholds, a really important thing that you said, you asked the Lord, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the most important components of observing and uncluttering your soul is inviting the Holy spirit to help reveal things in your life. And when you're ready for that, when you ask him and when you're in a place, um, to want to observe and to overcome things, he's going to begin to show those things to you and likely will take you back to Mm -hmm. childhood moments that will just really 
be riveting for you. So yeah, that was just a bad way for me to cope. And sometimes I can still fall into that. It could kind of go into like freeze mode or retreat and, you know, just procrastinate on everything in life. And so for me, I needed a list. I love to list. Um, I do a lot in the journal, as I say, and I, I, I'm always want to encourage people to journal and not look at it as intimidating because you can just make lists. And I do that a lot. And so I had to see kind of in what ways am I actually avoiding my life? And then kind of on the flip side of the coin, in what simple ways can I participate Mm -hmm. at that time in my life? And probably I can fall right back into some of these, you know, um, I like to avoid finances, um, (laughs) uh, things like that. I don't, I don't like them, anything, you know, that's kind of hard when we're in a hard time, then that's what we tend to avoid. So I need to like literally list those things, like you were saying, to look at them. And, um, my dad always kind of had this saying, he had a lot of sayings. Um, and one is no decision is a decision. And so by avoiding a lot of things, I kind of had to come to terms with, you know, I'm still kind of making a decision. I'm, I'm participating in my life in a non-participant way. Um, and there's a scripture that I share in the book and I'd love to read it. It's first Corinthians one nine. And it says by him, you were called into companionship and participation with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I love that because it's a beautiful invitation um, to not only have that companionship with the Lord, which I'm quite familiar and pretty good with that, but to participate, you know, he, Mm -hmm. he calls us co-creators, we're co-heirs in Christ Jesus. And so he wants us to participate and to live this life, right. To live life and to live it abundantly, John 10, 10. And I wasn't really doing that. So I had to begin to look at why that was, and it it seemed like a good way of self-protection, you know, mm-hmm. kind of introverting and isolating. And if I don't, you put myself out there, then I can't fail or things can't go wrong, but it's really, you know, not a form of self-protection, but of, um, self-sabotage. Yeah. You write a good deal of soul clutter can originate in the expectations we have of others mm-hmm. and the hope we put in them. Mm-hmm. And so I think so often that we don't even realize how much we live in our minds and hearts of unmet mm-hmm. expectations when those that didn't meet those expe- expectations didn't even know how they're letting us down, right? Mm-hmm. What a hard way to live, love, and take care of each other. So how do we manage our expectations, one, of ourselves and two, mm-hmm. of others in our life? Mm-hmm. And when are our expectations good to share? And when do we need to have more grace in general and let them go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Expectations is a tricky one it and is. it took me a while to unpack and it's still something I have to work mm-hmm. through, but you know, at the very bottom of it all, the safest place to put your expectations are in the Lord. Um, he, he is our anchor, right. And hope and expectation kind of go together. And so I kind of uncovered and learned that I was putting a lot of expectation into people and some particular Mm -hmm. people in my life and not out of, um, putting them before the Lord, but just kind of ingrained systems and patterns and, and people making promises that I thought they would make good on and they Mm -hmm. didn't. Mm -hmm. And then when that happened, then, you know, I went into that kind of 
self-protection mode, another form of like a self-preservation. Well, then I'm not going to hope at all. And is God safe to hope in? Because what if he doesn't make good on his word, right? Um, but he does, and he's the anchor of our soul. So I, I'm careful now with um, expectations with people um, and making sure that, again, my expectations in the Lord and um, with people like, you know, I... I just would default to, to old ways that were not so much the way anymore in my family. And I had to learn to let go of that. And my aunt, who was kind of a sage, gave me this little saying, one that I had taped up. And I think I had it as a screensaver for a long time, which was love more, care less. Mm-hmm. And so it was really kind of releasing some people too in my life um, from expectations, um, from yeah. Cause it's like things I expected out of them. Um, and not caring so much, not in a cold way, but just loving more and, and just kind of releasing. So it's that again, too, is a process. A lot of this work of uncluttering your soul is, mm-hmm. you know, just like your home, you can't just right. unclutter it once and right. expect it to stay clean unless right. you're not going to live in that home, but we are a living home. So we have to keep doing that uncluttering. I feel like this could be a three-part interview <laughs> and I, I'm stopping with my questions only about halfway through the book. I had a whole nother half of a book that, you know, I would have loved to talk about too. So I'm going to jump ahead to um, a later part of the book called Pursue Peace mm-hmm. before we wrap things up. Let's talk about more or less. I made my own list after reading it and I wrote it out and I put it next to my computer too. So more art, more movement, more forgiveness, more spontaneity. I thought this would make you laugh more getting dressed and leaving the house. Yeah. That's just a, I, I, I had to like give you the whole thing. <laughs> I had to be completely yeah. honest with you. That needs to go on my list now Yeah, yeah. as well. <laughs> I feel like the Lord all the time is saying, if you would just get dressed, you could change the world, Jane. Just get dressed and like leave the house. And so- Do you ever then- watch like old shows or movies and, and just see like how dressed or even like pictures of your grandparents? And I'm like, my grandma mm. had like on a blouse and a belt and like nice shoes every day. Just it, to took it took ironing. It took ironing on yes. a daily basis. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And uh, and then less of anything that numbs me and keeps me from hearing the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, we have to get silent, right? We yeah. have to get silent to hear ourselves. What does some of this more and less look like for you? Yeah. Well, I, I need to adapt my list probably from what's in the book, but I love yours. Um, some of the ones that I wrote in the book that would still be true is I had, um, more risk and left less, um, playing not to lose or, or mm, playing it safe. That's so I'm good. Not, yeah. I'm not a natural risk taker. Um, but a lot of good things in life are hard things and things that are a little bit scary. So I need a little bit more of that in my life. Um, more laughing, less crying. Um, I'm a sensitive soul, so I can cry easily, even if it's a book or a movie or whatever, but I really have to like, you know, we're talking about pursuing peace. I, I pursue laughter and need to pursue a little bit more of it, which sometimes for me means watching like a 90s sitcom before I go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, more in real life relationships, um, get togethers, being around people versus online 
you know, it's so easy to, yeah. and I love online. Um, but we need face-to-face community. You need face-to-face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, more of that. And I've, I've really been in a good season of that um, here in Nashville. So I'm so grateful for that, but it's like, the more you do that, the more you kind of crave and the less um, enchanted you become with the digital life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm actually going to th- talk about something real quick. It wasn't yeah. even included just because I think it'd be fun for people to hear. Okay. So Trina and I have known each other online for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we ran into each other in person, not too long ago yeah. in Franklin, we were there visiting my kids and she was there in between. I think the kids sport sporting events, I think on a weekend, yeah. maybe we we're at a coffee shop in the morning mm-hmm. and we got talking about Italy. And mm-hmm. so you guys know how much I love Italy and our family loves to spend time there. And Trina and her husband went on a 25th anniversary trip. Yeah. And it really changed some things for you, um, that trip. And would you want to share anything about what you loved and you took home as treasures about your time in Italy? Yeah. Oh, I loved that. And I loved that I could talk with you about that. And then I saw you and that was so fun. I was like sitting in a chair and I looked up and I was like, that looks like Jean. And then I was like, wait, but this is Nashville. She lives in Colorado. And <laughs> I kept looking. And then I'm like, I'm going to get on Instagram to see if she's posted any pictures in Tennessee. But I hadn't. <laughs> you had it. So I was like, I'll just, maybe if I just keep looking at her, but I don't want to be a weirdo. And then finally we made eye contact and it was like, it is you, it is you. <laughs> so then we got talking. And then of course I brought up Italy because I know you love Italy too. And I was totally on Italy high. Um I, I don't think it. you can go to Italy and not come home smitten. I know. And it's almost like it hit me a little bit more like after I got back, but I'm just mm-hmm. such a processor that is just still, you know, just going through every little detail. But um, I kind of knew that like before I went, I was a little reluctant because I am not a great traveler in the sense of, I don't like to fly, but I make myself do it. That's one of those <laughs> things I do. Um but I knew there was something there for me. I didn't know what, mm. and I definitely had this expectation that it would be like beauty. I love and- that you knew that. Yeah. I love that you knew that there was something waiting for you there. Yeah, I thought so. And you know that you know La Dolce Vita, and you know the slower pace of life, and all of that. And I don't. It, it didn't like transpire in the way that I thought because you know we had like nine days, and we were going to get the most out of it as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we were you know, sitting around at the beach or a lake, we were kind of go, go, going, but Mm -hmm. it just, it just kind of did something in my soul. I think it was like awakening me to beauty again. And, um, yeah, that's kind of slower pace of life that I thought, you know, I want to have a little bit more of that really Mm -hmm. enjoying things just to enjoy them and delight in them just to delight and, and that being okay. Um, and just my creative side, I'm just, such a happier person when mm-hmm. I can explore and have a little bit of adventure. And I love history and old buildings and mostly the food there. I mean, I just, I ate a lot of pasta and gelato and I'm not even normally a pasta person, but it was, it was just so good. And I just can't stop thinking about it and how I want to go back and explore more and, and just, yeah, more beauty, more rest, um, just a different a d- different pace. And it feels like it's almost on a, 
soul and spiritual level. And mm-hmm. not that I really know how to describe yet. I'm still thinking about that, but it just feels that way. But just, just beauty. Like if I had a lot of time there, I would love to just go into the different basilicas, the cathedrals mm-hmm. and just sit for a long time mm-hmm. and look and write and think. Um, because I don't know, I just, I felt God there in a, in a different kind of unique way, which is always refreshing when you, you know, have walked with the Lord for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Those sweet, unexpected surprises. Um, mm-hmm. Those are treasures. Yeah. All right. I'd love to close with one last question. If mm-hmm. you were not an author, what would your <laughs> alternative career choice be? Oh, that's so hard. Um, well, I had a speech teacher that told me I would make a good weather, weather person. <laughs> um, I don't know. Could you have a job where I guess it maybe would be like a taste maker? Like I love to pick out things, not for myself. I'm very challenged. Like I cannot make decisions for my own <laughs> purchases, but I really like to do that for other people. And I think I'm kind of good at it. Like I'll see something and think it's beautiful or a little bit ahead of its time where usually then people are like, that's weird. And then, you know, two years later, it's pretty cool for everyone. So if there was there a job, that there's your next maker, job. Yes. I would yes. like to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Would you please tell our listeners where they can find you, buy your books or just connect more with you in general? Yeah. So um, everything is on my website, Trina McNeely.com. Um, on social, I'm at Trina underscore McNeely. And I just started a Substack, So you can find me on there at Trina McNeely.substack.com. Oh, thanks, Trina. Thanks so much for Thank you, um, just your writings are so beautiful. And they both of your books invite people in. They invite mm-hmm. you in. And there's this commonality that we all have, right? Um, and that's why as I was reading and underlining or taking notes, or sometimes I would even read things and put somebody's name next to it. Like, Mm. oh, they, this is for them. This is, this is something really sweet, uh, for them. And there were many people that I said, you need to get this book. This is just, um, it's a, it's, there's just so many sweet reminders throughout the whole thing of really good tools that we all can use in our day-to-day life. Um, and just written, as if you did open your journal and just share your heart. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jean. You're a beautiful soul. I created a free resource and mini workbook just for you. 10 tips to take back the peace for a more beautiful life. A free ebook if you're looking for some rest in your day-to-day like I was. Go to jeanoliver.com slash 10 tips to get your free resource. Creativity is calling. Become the artist you have dreamed to be. After the podcast, meet me over at jeanoliver.com where you will find art, business, and lifestyle online courses. We have over 150 courses from teachers around the world. Thank you for joining me this week. Don't forget to let us know what you thought of this week's podcast and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing. Thanks for listening and see you next time.